So today is an important day, uh, not because of paint and not because of signs. Uh, branding is easy to do. Uh, it's really easy to do. You come up with some catchy phrases, you put some hashtags in front of some stuff, uh, you sell some merch, uh, and you do all that kind of different stuff. That's branding. But here's the deal. Branding is what you do to a cow. Like you, you brand a cow, and you're not cows. I don't know if you noticed that, but you're, you're not cattle. Uh, what you see today and what you hear today, this encounter God, uh, embrace community, and embody mission, it's not branding. What it is actually is an invitation. So every church, every single church has a responsibility to form people into something. We have a job to do to form people, uh, form followers of Jesus. That's what our job is. But here's a challenge when it comes to the people-forming business. Formation is a big business. It's a huge business. And you and I are being formed by all kinds of things every single day. Every day we're being formed by things. Who we are, what we're becoming, how we live, it's really, really big business. And if people and if organizations and even if businesses can form and shape us into certain kinds of people, certain kinds of consumers, playing to our likes, maybe our dislikes, playing to our biases and our preferences, even our loves and maybe even what we hate, if, if people and organizations and businesses can figure out how to play to those things, it becomes very easy to form us into the kind of the people who would buy into their agenda or their ideology or their product. So people formation is a really, really big business. Man, Rich, this is kind of starting off heavy, you think. I'm kind of here to have you make me feel good <laughs> and to have you give me like a word for the day. Form me, right? So our lives in, in reality, have kind of been reduced to algorithms a little bit, uh, from how we vote to how we love to how we vote, maybe don't love. Um, whether it's social media, it's your favorite news source, could be your parents, could be your favorite celebrity, whoever it is, all of those things have a forming effect on us. And as a church, we have a hand in that formation business as well, for good or for not so much, for not so good. So we, we gather very intentionally every single week. And this is, this is very interesting to me. We gather as a large group every single week, and that carries with it this huge sacred trust. Like you, by being here, like trust me, trust the church. Trust those that are on a, a platform. Trust those that are leading a life group. Trust those that are doing all kinds of different things. You're coming and you're gathering with a certain trust that we are forming you into the people that God desires for you to be. Not forming you to adhere to our ideology or, you know, join the Rich Doring fan club. I think there's like two people in that one, so... but. But, you know, that's not what we're forming you to be. But it's a really sacred trust because the motives that we have, the tools that we use, those say something about who we are. Just like a steady algorithm of political rhetoric 
or an algorithm, uh, a perception of what the American dream is handed to you through social pressures that are considered normal, just like those things will form you, so do certain practices and expectations and experiences in the church. Those have a forming process on you. They make us who we are. They form our experience, not just in life, but they actually begin to form our experience of life, how we experience real life. They form our experience with other people. They form our purpose. So as the church, we don't have the privilege of taking the formation business lightly. We just don't. We can't be casual in this or careless. Instead, what we are going to be doing is real life is we are taking Jesus' lead with something that Jesus just did all the time, all the time. He gathered people around a table. He invited them to sit down with him at a table. So let's talk about tacos. So there's not a whole lot of things in my life that makes me as happy as tacos. So, and you can ask my wife. I, I love to eat. I love food. Food is good. I love to make food. I love to eat food. I love everything there is about food. But when it comes to tacos, when it comes to really, really good tacos, there is literally, and Shelly knows this, there's like this happy dance moment for me, you know, where you take that bite and you just, you know, you just kind of get that little happy dance. Yes, I'm in my good place right now, okay? So there's something about tacos. I absolutely love tacos. And here's the other thing. I don't, I literally can't recollect any moment in time where I've had a taco by myself. In fact, to me, the best tacos are the ones where you just grab that tortilla and everything is laid out in front of you. From the carnitas to the, all, all of it, everything is just laid out. The cilantro and onions, everything is just laid out. And you, as a community, as a communal experience, get to make the tacos yourself. And then you sit down and you do the happy dance together, right? So you, you get to do that as a community, communally. Okay? And I know that none of what I'm saying right now makes any sense as far as what we're talking about right now. But I am of the opinion that Jesus, when he broke bread, it was probably a tortilla. He passed it around. <laughs> he said, e como y bebes. <laughs> Eat and drink. <laughs> okay? I think Jesus would love tacos. Because it seems like Jesus loved to eat all the time. So I want you to hang with me here. When I read the Gospels, one of the most glaring things to me is you, as you pour through all four of them is how many times Jesus sat down and ate with people. Like all the time. Whenever you run across something, Jesus is always showing up and there's eating and drinking all the time. And when there isn't enough, he does a miracle so that there's more food and more drink. Like, there's something going on when it comes to who gets to sit at that table, who comes to the table. So he invites people to the table so much that he starts getting a reputation. You see it in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. It says this, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, because that's just what he did. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and those dirty, 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 dirty sinners. He's a friend of those tax collectors 
and those sinners. And here's what's really funny to me. Not long after those accusations are kind of levied towards Jesus, this is just so ridiculous, very quickly after that, a Pharisee, a religious leader who liked to judge people, invites Jesus to his home for dinner. So it just, everything revolves around food, and it revolves around this dinner and this situation over and over again. He's inviting people to join him at a table. Luke 5, he's at the home of Levi, tax collectors and sinners. Luke 7, this is just the Gospel of Luke. He eats at the home of Simon the Pharisee. Okay. Luke 7, Jesus feeds the 5,000. One wasn't enough. 5,000 people are at the table with Jesus. Luke 9, he eats in the home of his friends, Mary and Martha. Luke 11, during a meal, Jesus starts talking about, hey, you need to go get the poor people and bring them to the meal as well. And then this is the best one, Luke 14. Jesus invites himself to dinner. That, I love that. I think that that's an amazing thing. He sees Zacchaeus. He's like, hey, Zacchaeus, what's for dinner? I'm coming to your place. You're going to feed me, right? I got I to gotta perfect the art of that one. Luke 19, we got the Last Supper. Luke 22, the risen Christ. So this is after the resurrection. He has a meal with two people in Emmaus. Luke 24, he eats breakfast with his disciples near the Sea of Galilee. All the time. Jesus would eat with anybody anywhere at any time. He's, he's eating with his closest friends. He's eating with his enemies. He's eating even with this unknown multitude of thousands of people on a hill one day. He took advantage of every single one of those meals, those tables, to guide, to teach, and if necessary, to challenge and to rebuke even. He ate for joy which I love. He ate for joy, but he dined with purpose. There's a reason he gathered people at a table. So the vision for discipleship at real life centers around the idea that we are in the business of setting the table. We set the table. The decisions that we make, the priorities that we set, the staff that are hired, the directions, the partnerships that we have, the focus that we give, the ministries, the initiatives, all of those are an invitation to a table that is being set so that people might encounter God, embrace community, and then embody the mission of Jesus Christ in their daily life. Our job is to set the table. Setting the table because here's the truth. I don't change lives, and neither do you. Churches do not change lives. Jesus does. Jesus is the one. And every single time somebody sits at a table with Jesus, you can be assured of several things. And the first is this. You will encounter God. You will encounter God as you sit down at the table with Jesus. Philippians 3, 7 through 11 says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Do you know Jesus? Because here's what I can tell you. An encounter with God is not found in a feeling. It's not found in some emotional rush. It's not found because you've chased the Spirit to hear some certain speaker. Those are not encounters with God. They're not enough. There's nothing wrong with those. They're just not enough. To encounter God is to know a person. And that person is Jesus. Do you know Jesus? A real flesh and blood person. This is, this is God in the flesh. He lived and died and gave his life so that you might have life. So that you might have freedom. That you might have forgiveness. Unfortunately, in our individualized expression of faith in the West... We've reduced knowing God to, I prayed a sinner's prayer and now I'm saved. Yes, I know God. I've been saved. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. And I prayed the sinner's prayer and I am saved as well. March, May 16, 1992. Okay? So obviously, that's important. But here's the deal. An encounter with God, when you truly sit at the table with Jesus Christ, that produces not just salvation. It produces transformation. You're never the same. When you meet Jesus, he won't leave you the same. Paul, who wrote that passage from Philippians I read earlier, or from Philippians, he, he wanted to know Jesus that he might be like Jesus. Paul had an experience on the road to Damascus. You know, God came. It was just an amazing experience. So he knew salvation. He knew that. That's not what he's talking about in this Philippians chapter, though. He's talking about knowing Jesus personally, knowing him in such a way that he's becoming more and more and more like Jesus. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He said, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image, the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Transformed means metamorphosis. It means changed. It means completely Change. The old is gone, the new is come. That is what a true encounter with God produces. Nothing stays the same. And it's because you know a person. You know a person. Author and theologian, N.T. Wright. And if you're not familiar with N.T. Wright, you should get familiar with N.T. Wright. Amazing. Uh, he says this, if you want to know who God is, Look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be a human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking. 
until you are not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama which has Jesus as a central character. So if you come to the table and encounter God, you're not going to be the same. The discipleship vision of real life includes setting the table so that people might encounter God through the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be talking about these things over the next three weeks. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about what it means to encounter God. But we as a church need to be asking ourselves the question, are we trying to convince people to be a part of us? Are we trying to convince people with whatever? Are, are, we, are we trying to have, help people have an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ? People need to know Jesus. I would not be standing here today doing what I'm doing, even remotely in the, the, the weirdest sense. I, w- I would not be standing here doing any of this if it wasn't for the person of Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, are we creating and are we open to God allowing us to be used to create opportunities for people to truly encounter God at a table with Jesus? Because connected to that encounter is always going to be the challenge to embrace community. So, Jesus would eat with anybody, which got him in trouble. There are a whole lot of religious people that did not like the fact that Jesus would eat with anybody. He would eat with anybody. His closest friends, again, he would eat with his enemies, the rich, the poor, the powerful, the weak, the least, the religious, the not so much. He'd eat with anybody. And listen, if tacos are served, I'll eat with anybody too. But seriously, he would eat with Anyone, anyone. There's a moment in the Gospels when Jesus pulled together his closest friends, his disciples, and uh, he pulled them around a table. And full disclosure, that, that, that meal that he pulled his disciples to together, we, we, we do, it's a very romantic scene in the sense that you know, there's a lot of feelings attached to it, it's very somber. It starts out as a total dumpster fire. It really does. Okay, so first of all, we find out that, and Jesus just puts a damper on the whole thing. He says, oh, by the way, one of you guys sitting around this table, this is good dinner fare, right? Right right on this table, one of you guys, yeah, you're going to sell me out. Actually, pretty cheap, so I'm a little offended. 30 pieces of silver, really? That's, that's what you think of me? So you're going to sell me out, so one of you all is going to betray me. And then, you know, everybody's just like, Yay, here's a toast. Or, you know, I mean, what, what do you do at that point? I mean, it starts out as a dumpster fire. If that's not to make things bad, the next thing that happens is you have these other disciples that start squabbling over, you know, I think Jesus is my best friend, not your best friend. I'm really important to Jesus. Are you important to Jesus? I'm really important to Jesus. And they start arguing about, like, who's the closest person to Jesus? Who does Jesus like more? in this scenario. And Jesus is looking around at this thing, and and here they are. They're looking for some kind of recognition that they're a little bit more special than other people. Here's what I found out. I don't know if you've had the same experience, but people are hard. Like, just people, period. People are hard. The greatest joy in my life, in your life probably, and the greatest frustrations 
that you have are people, aren't they? People. People act up, people fight, people are needy, people are messy, people don't get it, right? That's just what people say about you. That was a joke. And it just, I knew, even when I was writing that down, I thought, I'm going to have to tell people that was a joke just so that they understand that that was a joke. But seriously, I'm absolutely sure I'd give people a reason to say that about me all the time. Man, Rich is messy. He's messy. Listen, the followers of Jesus aren't perfect. We, we, we are a seriously problematic community that also loves and encourages and nurtures and shares and supports and challenges and prays and is a family. And under the influence of the filling of the Holy Spirit, that community is something that the world can never produce. It cannot be found anywhere else other than the church. But that's not what was sitting around the table with Jesus that night. Um, not yet. And, and I just want to share with you what's encouraging to me about this. What does Jesus do with this imperfect dumpster fire <laughs> sitting around this table with him in one of the most crucial moments in, in his earthly life? What, what does he do in the midst of that? Does he drop a truth bomb and be like, dudes, I'm out, man. I, listen, I know that there's a group of people somewhere that are going to get it. You ain't it. So I'm going to go find those people. He doesn't do that. I mean, I wouldn't blame him if he, you guys, I got to the bathroom. And he slipped out the back and just didn't come back. Okay? And they probably would be like, yeah, we can't blame him either. I mean, look at us. But that's not what he does. He breaks bread. He keeps walking. Listen closely. He keeps walking forward with them. He keeps at it. He gives them truth. He gives them grace. They're not sitting around that table. Those guys are not what they used to be. They never would have been around that table. They're not what they used to be, but they're not what they're going to be yet. They're in this in-between time, but in the midst of that, he never quit them. He never quit those people. And Because of that messy, early group of believers who embraced the community that they were a part of because they'd encountered God in the flesh, because of that, there are billions of people on the planet today celebrating the name of Jesus and living in freedom and righteousness because of this, this group. Listen, embracing community is really hard. But it's also powerful and it's beautiful and it's needed. It's desperately needed. But you got to stay at the table. <laughs> you got to stay at the table. I don't debate that there are times, listen very closely, to put distance between yourself and abuse. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the people who've been hurt and carry trauma at the hands of those who profess to know Jesus. But, for a lot of people, the current Christian legacy is that people are worth quitting. People are worth quitting. It's because people are hard. You're hard. 
I am. We're hard. And in Jesus' case, conflict, pride, betrayal, all sat around that table with him. It's amazing to me. All of those things sat around that table, but he stayed. He stayed. And I, I will profess to you today that the most I have grown in life is when I have been seated at a table with people who are not like me. When I'm put into a context of people who are not like me, that's somehow when God takes me and goes and grows me into who he's desiring for me to be. But you have to stay at the table. You have to stay at the table because at the table then, as you embrace that community, you're inevitably challenged then together to embody mission. So something else happened at that table. Um, John 13 says this, uh, verses 3 through 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and at that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. If you're not familiar with it, the bottom line is um, people... We're walking on dirty roads in sandals and walking the same dirty roads animals walked. So when you came into somebody's house, particularly a house that could house 12 people around a table, uh, usually there was a servant or a slave there, and that servant's job was to wash people's feet as they came in. For some reason, that servant wasn't there. Uh, maybe J- Judas had already pilfered the pot or something, and they couldn't pay somebody. Who knows? But the bottom line is uh, nobody was there to wash anybody's feet. So now you have all the disciples and Jesus sitting around this table with dirty feet. Dirty feet. But no, nobody in that moment thought, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I, I, I can wash feet. I, I got this. I can do it. Nobody did it. So Jesus looks around that room, and in that moment, he sees proud hearts and dirty feet. That's what's sitting around that table, proud hearts and dirty feet. So he does it. The God that they are encountering at that table is now on the floor going low to wash their feet. Washing feet wasn't their thing. Washing feet, that's not my thing. That's somebody else's thing. And Jesus just announces, no, it's a my thing. (laughs) Washing feet, that's what I do. That's what I do. See, the kingdom of God is totally upside down. Masters serve servants. The proud are humbled, the humbled are exalted, where whatever you do for the least of these, you do for him. I want you to think about that for a second. An encounter with God, fleshed out as you embrace community, is always going to lead you to embody the mission of Jesus, which is servanthood. It's servanthood. You will be like Jesus, if you serve. Serving is not something that we do. If, if we treat service as something that we do, it becomes a box that we check off, I served today. It needs to be who we are. Servants are who we are, not something that we do. Because we're becoming more like Jesus. Jesus' words after washing feet are really pointed. He says this, 
now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Our responsibility at real life, listen, is to set the table so that we might all embody mission in our everyday lives. It becomes our identity. It's not so much about what we do, which is important, but about who we are. Who we are. Living out the mission of Jesus every day, every moment, and that is the vision for discipleship at real life. To set the table in such a way that people truly encounter God in the person of Jesus Christ. And in encountering Jesus, encountering God, they embrace the community of fellow followers growing and seeking and loving and nurturing obedience in one another, engaging together and embodying the mission of Jesus each and every day in the world we find ourselves in. My responsibility as your pastor, our responsibility is to form that, to set the table so that that might happen, to set the table with opportunities so that that might happen. So, as fun as it is to come up with catchy statements, and as fun as it is to pick some colors, paint some walls, all that kind of different jazz, um, listen, man, we're just getting warmed up. Do we set the perfect table at real life? No. No. We're working on it, okay? Give us some time. (laughs) We're working on it. Are you? Will you take a seat at an in-progress table? Uh, It's a good reminder, I think, as we prepare to receive communion together. That that's exactly what Jesus did. He sat at an in-progress table with a bunch of people who were in progress. And he invited them to take a seat. He served them, he washed them, and in doing so, they encountered God together. They learned what it looked like to serve, to love, to give, and even to receive in the midst of that too. So as you and I approach the table today, I want to ask you to consider this your formal invitation to encounter all that God has for you and to embrace community, and embody the mission of Jesus Christ through your life. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in the next three weeks. Like I said, we don't set a perfect table, not yet. We may never set a perfect table, but Jesus sat at that in-progress table and still asked people to come. So we ask you to come too. Uh, Communion in our church is open to anybody who professes a faith in Jesus Christ. If you profess a faith in Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to participate in communion today. In just a moment, I'm going to come right down there into the middle, and I'll dismiss these center aisle, into the center to come up, and you can return. And then uh, there'll be an usher right here and an usher right here who will come, and you do the same. And if you're in the balcony, you can join those as well. Let me, let me give us some instructions and in prayer right now. Let's pray. Father, would you thank you? We, we just thank you for, for being with us as we receive this meal. Created in your image, you made us different from one another, yet we're one. 
So would you forgive us for what keeps us from full relationship with you and one another? And Jesus, you showed us a different way. Jesus, who was friends with the despised ones of his time, modeled for us what it looks like to practice love. But as your word tells us, he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. On the night he would be arrested, he gathered with his friends for a meal. He took bread, gave thanks to you, broke it, and shared with his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you, this is the cup of the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Father, we come to your table today upon your invitation, hungry for your kingdom. It is in Jesus' name. Amen.